0: Hey, everybody, and welcome into the New England Ski Journal's Base Camp Podcast. I am Eric Wilbur, joined by Mike Spieschen, as always. Mike, how are you? Eric, I'm doing great, man. I'm good. Good.
1: It's the holiday season. How can I not be doing great? It is a,
0: it's been the holiday season for weeks for me because my, my daughter is obsessed with Christmas. And look, I'm one of those who doesn't want to see a Christmas commercial in September. And it's not because I'm a Grinch or anything like that. It's a matter of I like to appreciate things, right? And I like to take things as they come. And so when Christmas comes in December, and I've already been part of Christmas for three months because I've had to deal with it because everyone else wants it to be Christmas, it loses that special flavor. You know what I mean? If you listen to Christmas songs, October, November, December, they start getting a little repetitive by December. I like to take things in bits and pieces and appreciate them. So yes, happy Thanksgiving, Michael.
1: Yeah. <laughs> when, when you see Christmas up and it's still October bef- before Halloween, something's wrong with yeah. that. But you know what? I'm in I'm in rehab mode right now. Aaron. I know you are. I know. You know How's got, that going? You know what? The knee is going to be there. It's just the month of December's rehab since I had a full knee. And it's only white ribbon in depth anyway. So. Yeah, well, you know what? I, I'm not a huge fan of skiing when the sun's so low in the sky, anyway. <laughs> so I, I I actually picked this time of year because I didn't want to give up windsurfing, I didn't want to give up summer, I didn't want to give up biking. It's actually
0: kind of the perfect way, right? You're, you're still going to be able to ski, and you're going to, you're going to get the, the season's best. So you yeah, win.
1: yeah, I'll be back on snow by February first, if not earlier. I've got to be in Salt Lake in the third week of January, so it's all it's all good.
0: Well, this month we started. Back on our weekly schedule of the Basecamp podcast, so instead of every fortnight hearing us, you'll be hearing us every friday and I did want to to I want to read an email that I got because it was first of all it was it was complimentary, but it did bring up something that I want to suggest to you. Thank you both so much for producing such a fun and enjoyable podcast. I love listening to the history in, industry insight and general excitement for the love of New England skiing. I definitely learned something new in every episode also merch. Any ideas for tees or hats in the future? Thank you for your wonderful work. Best. Uh, and it's from a, a reader in Danvers. Merch. How about this, Mike? What do
1: we think? I like the hat idea. There's, I actually almost bought a hat up at base camp in Killington, Vermont, because I thought it was so cool. Oh really? That's right. That's base camp, base right. camp. Yeah, that would work, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, it's right at the base of the access road. Those guys, Ben, who's the new owner there, is doing a great job. And
0: well, let's just say I don't know if we want to take anything from a Killington shop and use it for our own. No, online, I think, sort I think of. we need our sort of. own. We're, we're gonna we're gonna have to lobby the boss here because I think Killington ski shops will frown on you if you take their
1: name, yeah, without it, without asking. Yeah, I right. Know. You see, I know. I know. So.
0: So, yeah, I mean, Basecamp merch. Is it hats? Is it T-shirts? I will be, I will admit, I have a New England Ski Journal hat, and I never wear it. That does not mean I'm not interested in talking Basecamp merch. I'm just saying that I, it has to be of highest quality.
1: Well, we're rated as one of the top ten podcasts in the country, aren't we? That's, uh, that's my story, and I'm sticking what, to it. What are, the per, <laughs> what are the parameters
0: there? As um, far as Mike, Producer David, as far as, that's true. That's true. <laughs> sure. Why not? I mean, top, I don't see the numbers. So top, top 10 base camp podcasts, I guess. <laughs> so yeah, merch, let's, let's talk merch. Let's uh let's send that down, down the rabbit hole. Tell the powers that be that we want some merchandise.
1: Well, you know what? We're in the holiday spirit here because Christmas is going to be here. Ski season will be fully on at that point, meaning No more skiing two or three trails. We're going to be skiing the whole mountain. Right. And the Farmer's Almanac said we're going to get dumped, so it's all a win.
0: Okay, one thing I do want to kind of go over with you is that this month in the New England Ski Journal, we published our first Best of New England, and we had a a bunch of different categories, and I just want to go over some of the the top vote-getters here with you to see if you agree with the way our panel voted or if you think they're nuts. So, for instance, Best for Snowmaking, who do you think – took the top spot in the best for snowmaking this year in New England.
1: Well, Wachusett should be the tops for snowmaking, even though Killington, Sunday River all have great ability. Mm -hmm. Wachusett is completely GPSed. They know exactly how much snow is on every inch of every trail. So Wachusett should be number one.
0: I don't argue with you, but Wachusett is number four. And the fact that they're in the top five speaks to all those those things you said. Killington did come up first, and I think that's hard to argue with a... They have the most power. They have the most power. They have the I most mean, power, they, no, they, no doubt. They took a bare race course last year and turned it into World Cup worthy in a matter of days. I mean, that's really all you need to know about how power this system is. Uh, how but you're man, right, how watch man, use
1: it should be up. How, how, many, how many guns on one piece of hill, mm-hmm. but that would not be the case of... That would not be the case with that many guns if it wasn't for the need for the World Cup.
0: Correct. So Killington, Sunday River, Bretton Woods, Wachusett, and Loon were the top five vote getters. Uh, Yep. And I would argue that you think you're right. I think Wachusett should get more respect than just number four. Well, uh, the
1: the reason why Wachusett should get it is because of the way it's GPS. They've done something nobody else in New England has done, and they're farther south. Bretton Woods has a great snowmaking system also, and so does Loon.
0: Okay, let's let's go to this one. This one should be a slam dunk. This I is was going to say one.
1: magic, by the way. Magic. Yeah, yeah. magic. Good enough. Sure. Some of the best skiing, period.
0: It is. It is. Best for scenery. I mean, this one's not exactly a, a hard one.
1: I'm going to give you three mm-hmm. best for scenery Gunstock, Bretton Woods, Wildcat, period. Bretton
0: Woods is number four, and Wildcat is number one. So, I mean, not Wildcats, the slam dunk. When- Sa- Saddleback is number two cannon number 3, Bretton Woods and Jay Peak, which I found a little surprising.
1: Yeah, Jay Peak's a little surprising. Saddleback's view over Rangeley Lake is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Yep. Is is absolutely gorgeous.
0: And let's do one more before I get to our guests here. No, let's do two more because I want to do this one. Best for Glades. Best for
1: Glades. Jay J- Peak is still Jay Peak. Jay Peak. Jay Peak's still Jay Peak. But you know what? Um Slide Brook at Sugarbush um, Bracket and Burnt Mountain at at Sugarloaf mm-hmm. and Saddleback throw that and also are all outstanding. J Peak is still at another level. Yep, J Peak took top spot. Sugarloaf
0: number two. Cannon Burke and Bolton Valley. Sugarbush not on the list. They were one of the other well, top. Well, you know what? But you got to remember, in this when we're doing I'm- these panels, one person has something as a. High and the best, and another person has it at the lowest. So it's like in the middle somewhere they meet. Well,
1: Canon Canon has great woods, mm-hmm. but they just don't have a lot of it. Yeah, and it's also you got to know where you're going, right? Well, yeah, I mean they they've cut some through the years, so it has gotten much better.
0: Okay, last one i want to do before I get to our guest: best in overall satisfaction.
1: Best in overall satisfaction. Ugh, I don't know on that one. I I really. I would sort of throw in an Okemo, a Sunapee, but satisfaction is subjective to the person. So who that's, do you, who do
0: you think would win based on how a mountain is received?
1: How a mountain is received in the grand scheme of things, a family is going to say Bretton Woods. Mm-hmm. A, a true skier is going to say a Bolton or a Magic, Saddleback. Saddleback really? came out tops. Well, that is amazing mm-hmm. because honestly, they do it great. They're not overcrowded. They I've got nothing but accolades for what Saddleback has done.
0: Here's the other thing. They couldn't be on this list 3 years ago, right? So the fact that they've rocketed to number 1 in best in overall satisfaction in just 3 years shows the remarkable job they've done up there in resurrecting that place.
1: Well, you know what? I think the cool thing about Saddleback is you now have a lift a high speed lift instead of a double mm. that gets you up to the train. Right. You're not riding T-bars everywhere, but I still love the T-bar right. uh, there. So that's, that's fantastic. And it's a totally different experience with less people. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So that is just a taste of our best of issue. You can read the results online at SkiJournal.com com or in the, in the uh, November issue of the new England ski journal.
1: On today's show, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, what we have coming up is something truly, truly spectacular. Somebody that has made an incredible difference in so many people's lives and took an adverse situation and turned it into something positive, which is what... I admire about people. Yeah.
0: Kelly brush. If you don't know her name is founder of the Kelly brush foundation, quite obviously. And they are a, a resource and a foundation to help people with uh, spinal cord injuries to get active and to get out there, to be able to ski, to be able to bike, to do it. All these things that they would normally be able to do that they can no longer do and uh, adapting into that sort of life. We're going to talk to Kelly about how she founded this organization, her history with, with spinal cord injury and, and how she wound up in her situation skiing at Middlebury and, and all the good that she is doing for, for people with, with spinal cord injuries and, and this forum that lets them know that they're not alone, obviously. And, and I think it's something that it's a resource for people that have these issues that they can go there and, and talk with other like-minded people and learn about what's happened to them and, and what it means for their future. So, Kelly Brush, fantastic story and, and remarkable story that that you're going to get to hear on the Basecamp podcast right after this. All right, welcome back to the Basecamp podcast. Joining us on the line, we're very excited to have with us Kelly Brush, the founder of the Kelly Brush Foundation, and uh, looking forward to talking about this its mission. And, and what good you guys do so kelly
1: welcome to the program
2: thank you thank you so much for having me i'm excited to be here
1: kelly s- super stoked to have you here your name is all over sugar bush where i scheme quite a bit it's, and the things you're doing are absolutely amazing why don't you fill everybody in on it what exactly the kelly brush foundation is
2: yeah, so the Calbrush Foundation is an organization that I started um after I had a spinal cord injury. So I when I was a sophomore at Middlebury College, I was ski racing and I fell and hit a lift tower and broke my back and have a spinal cord injury. So I lived my life in a wheelchair. And it was after I had my accident that there was a ton of support. I had a huge huge community of support that that came out of the woodwork to support me from the ski racing world middlebury community vermont new england just so many people and we said we need to harness this support and turn it into something good so we started the kelly brush foundation and and that was 17 years ago so we we really work in in two different worlds the our, our biggest the biggest area that we work in is adaptive sports, so we help people with spinal cord injuries get out and be active. Our mission is to inspire and empower people with spinal cord injuries to lead active and engaged lives. Um, so we do that in a lot of different ways. We help to provide adaptive sports equipment so people can get out and be independent, and we we help with knowledge, experience, and and building community around people with spinal cord injuries getting active. So that's a big part of what we do. And then the other part of what we do is we, we help people or we, we promote safety in ski racing. So the, when I got hurt, it was an accident that really shouldn't have happened. There should have been B net that was protecting the lift tower that I hit and there wasn't. So we knew immediately that we wanted to try to, try to change that and change the culture of ski racing. And we've done a lot of work in that world too. So that's sort of a, in a nutshell, how the Kelly Brush Foundation started and what we do now.
0: That's great. And I, I want to go back a little bit to your, your, your upbringing. You, you had a lot of skiing in your genes already with your mom. Your mom competed in the winter Olympics in 1976. Your dad competed in coach at Middlebury and your sister also went to ski at Middlebury. So was that always going to be the plan for you? Were you going to go to Middlebury no matter what, or was it a decision for you?
2: Oh, let me tell you, that was not, according to me, that was not the plan, <laughs> but according to my parents, maybe. No, it was. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, we I came from a a family of skiers and ski racers and and I love it. So I think that I'm a parent now and and knowing that I'd love my kids to ski and love to I'd love for them to try ski racing. But if they don't love it, that's fine. I think that was probably similar for my parents that. But I did love it. And so did my sister. And we both really took to it. Not only do we love it, but we were successful. So that always helps when we were little kids and and middlebury my dad always spoke so fondly of middlebury and really great experiences there and and i really wanted to ski division 1 I. I wanted to ski nescac in in new england most likely and middlebury was a great option for me so it certainly wasn't like preordained and written in the stars but it was and it, and and it ultimately was my decision but yeah it was definitely something that that my family spoke fondly of and it was a just skiing was a huge part of our lives and what we love to do together, and 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 I love that about my childhood.
0: Where in Vermont did you grow up?
2: So I grew up in a little town called Charlotte, um, which is right outside of Burlington, mm-hmm. so close to Burlington, and I grew up skiing at Stowe. So I have very fond memories of chasing my friends around at Stowe and, and doing all that.
1: Huff a few great ra- racers came out of that Stowe area including one billy
2: <laughs> That's kid? right. Yeah. That's right. I know. I remember chasing him around at sometimes when he'd be at the mountain. Uh,
1: well, yeah, and then I think Tiger Shaw and uh Andy Shaw also came out of there.
2: Stowe is a great place. It's a wonderful mountain. I, I I I have very fond memories of it and yeah, it was a great program. I mean, it was a it it set me and my sister up for success a lot for sure.
1: That is, that is awesome. Can you sort of give us a re, a recount of the injury on what happened? Was it at the Williams College Carnival?
2: Yeah. So it was at the Williams College Carnival, which is at Jiminy Peak in Massachusetts. I was coming off one of my best races the weekend before, and I was really excited to be, to be skiing again and, it was in the GS. It was a really weird day. The day before it had rained and we had the slalom that day. They had, it was a thunderstorm. We had lost power at the mountains. It was a very strange weekend, Um, but it had rained. And so, and then it froze overnight. So it was great for racing. It was super solid. And yeah, so I was in, it was in the GS. I remember skiing the top half of the course really well and thinking I skied it exactly as I needed to. I actually have a couple pictures. Somebody, a photographer that day happened to be taking pictures of some of my best pictures that I have of me racing, which is kind of cool. And then I was halfway down. I came over a knoll and somehow I got spun around backwards and I don't really remember how it was just like a weird thing. And my last memory was I was going down backwards um, thinking that I was going to hit the next gate. And that's actually the last thing that I remember. I don't remember the impact or being on the snow or anything. And then I have a couple snapshot memories of being in the emergency room before surgery. But then my next sort of complete memory is being is waking up in a Hospital bed, I was in the ICU. I had a tube down my throat to help me breathe so I couldn't talk. And my family was standing around me and I was just motioning to them, what happened? I had no idea like what had happened, how I got here, what was going on.
0: And then you spent two and a half months in Craig Rehab Hospital in Denver, correct? When do you start coming to grips with reality that this is what what's happened to me and I've got to face this now? When does it not become hopes and I, I hope this happens, I hope that happens. And then you say, look, this is what I am and I've got to kind of deal with this now.
2: Yeah, for me, it was pretty fluid. So I, because I don't have this memory of right after I got hurt, a lot of people have a memory of like they have some accident and then they're laying there going, oh my God, I'm paralyzed. Oh my God, I'm paralyzed. I can't move. Right. I never had that because I it was just so... The whole thing was so traumatic and I was so injured otherwise too. And so it really was sort of a slower process for recognition of the, of being paralyzed and not being able to move or walk or anything. I, I knew early on they told me right in that, that when I was laying in that hospital bed with my family there that I, that I was paralyzed, I had a spinal cord injury, but my spinal cord wasn't severed. So there was actually hope that maybe I would get some functional return or be able to walk again or whatever. And so that was always sort of the hope and the goal. Pretty much what you realize is that if that doesn't start to come back fairly quickly with, within the first month or two, it's probably not going to. And that was the case for me. So it was kind of one of those things that it was like, OK, just work as hard as you can, see what happens. Um, But it was pretty quick that I realized, like, I wasn't going to be getting any functional return. And And I certainly remember having those thoughts of I'm going to be the exception I'm going to be the one who walks out of this I think I had my coach freeze my points my fist points like so that they would stay the same for the next year which I don't even know if he ever did but it was that was certainly my mentality and in total I spent it was three months in the hospital so it was about two weeks in the first hospital in Massachusetts and then two and a half months at Craig Hospital in Denver which is a really great rehab for spinal cord injury and And it was really while I was there that I that I that I realized both that I was starting over. I was relearning how to do everything, how to get dressed, how to sit up in bed, how to move from my bed to my wheelchair, how to wheel a wheelchair. I mean, it's like one of those funny things that you don't really know how to do. You have to learn all these things. So so that was it was that it was at Craig that I was that I realized that it was also at Craig that I that I learned. How positive my life could still be! How great my life could still be! How much I could still do! I could still be active, which I thought I couldn't. I didn't know. I thought that I would never be able to ski again and be able to be active like I love to be. And and I learned I could be when I was there. So so there was so much positivity that I learned there too. That it just kind of was like, okay, what's next in my life? But was yeah. Now I'm in a wheelchair. I have a spinal cord injury. I've got a lot of other stuff that I have to figure out. But like okay, what's next? How do I get back to what I want to do? I want to be a college student. I want to go back to Middlebury. Like, how do I do that? Let's figure that out. And I want to ski, so let's figure that out. And so it was just really, I just kind of moved on.
1: And how old were you at that point?
2: I was 19 when I got
1: hurt. Well, that's being able to compartmentalize that way is is an amazing situation for a 19-year-old because that's what you're doing compartmentalizing saying certain parts are good certain parts are bad how am I going to deal with it Mhm And that's that's huge how was the mental the mental state during this time for you
2: So similar I was really lucky I I never got really sad or down or depressed a lot of people will go through that after an accident like this And I never really did like things were certainly hard and at every step of the way, different things became hard. But, but I never had a lot of like, a a lot of sadness, depression, like feeling like I just want to like go into a hole and die kind of thing. So I just was able to move on. I just was sort of lucky that way I think there was a lot of there's a lot of reasons why part of it is just my personality and sort of who I am that I can do that part of it is resilience that I've learned through being active in sports my whole life and knowing you fall down and you get back up and you figure it out that's so obviously simplistic but but there's something about it that that just worked for me and it was okay and and I think a lot of it was the support that I had too I mean I had my family was hugely supportive, I talked about earlier the the network that I had that came out and supported me, that I people I didn't even know were writing to me and and reaching out and saying how much they would support me and they're thinking of me and all that and I had tons of friends who came and visited me in the hospital all the time so I was never alone. It just was I just was able to to be okay and that was really great and helpful.
1: I was going to ask you about The support of your family, because I would imagine that was huge, but you sort of answered that question.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it was huge. I mean, without a doubt, having my family um, around me all the time and learning along with me, figuring it out with me, um, made it all feel that much easier. I also had my boyfriend at the time is now my husband. So that was really nice. Perfect. We were together for about a year before I got hurt. He was also on the Middlebury ski team. He was there the day that I got hurt. He came to the hospital in between his runs. Then he went back and took his second run. And so it was having, he actually took the semester off of school and came out to Craig with me and stayed there. So that was huge for, for me and for us. I mean, now in hindsight, we think about it sometimes. It's like, Oh my God, he was 20. I was 19. Like how he thought to do that why how we thought that was it seems like a terrible idea in hindsight but thankfully it worked out well for us <laughs> but it was it was great yeah so that was really really helpful
0: okay so one of the things you wanted to do was you wanted to get back to school so you got back to middlebury and you graduated and you got a standing ovation at your graduation which when i read this i i have chills now thinking about it again like envisioning this scene at at middlebury can you take us back to that memory and what what that meant to you, then and now?
2: It's really cool to think about. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, like I said, I, ju- I, I just wanted to be a regular college student again. And I just sort of figured out how to do that. I ended up, when I got home from rehab, I took a class in the summer to make up some of the classes I missed. The next summer, I took another couple of classes. So I made up the the classes that I had missed so so that I could graduate on time with my original class. And Middlebury is a small place, so when I got hurt, it was a big deal. A lot of people heard about it, and then I went. To, I was back on campus, and people sort of like knew who I was. And 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 when I graduated, it was one of those funny things. I don't know if, how many people can picture what a college graduation is, but it's like people streaming across the stage, getting their diploma, and like a little family really group possible. here, yep. over here, and whatever. And 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 that's kind of how it goes. And then when I went, I got up there and I heard a few people cheering. And then I looked out and saw everybody was clapping and then everybody was standing. And it was the same thing for me. I got like, I was like shaking. I, it was so crazy and so cool. And just made me realize the amount that I had done in the two years since I had gotten hurt and how much I had overcome, and I just sort of did it. I just was living my life, and I wanted to get back to be a college student, and that was that and it was for me the recognition that other people saw, how much I had had done to get there and and how cool it actually was it was it was not this was not a given, and I was able to do it and that was really cool and and in hindsight that's sort of how I see it also, like just the the recognition of of how much I was able to accomplish in that small amount of time and, and that that wasn't necessarily given. So, yeah, it's pretty cool to think about. It's
1: Really funny because I, I say this all the time. True character comes out when things aren't going your way. That is the truth of what came out of it. So you created the Kelly Brush Foundation. When did it start and how did that start?
2: Yeah. Well, it, it, it started, the idea came to us when I was in rehab. So it was within the first couple of months after I got hurt that we came up with the idea of the Kelly Brush Foundation. And, and really it was, it was for two things. It was for, for safety and ski racing, right? My accident shouldn't have happened. And, and my boyfriend at the time, my sister, so many of my best friends were still ski racing. And I was sitting there going, I can't imagine if something like this happened again, and I hadn't done anything about it. So, so we said, let's start a foundation. Let's change the culture of ski racing. Let's make it easier for people to get the fencing and get the safety equipment that they need. And so we did that. That was that was that was the the start of it. And then we also said, like, I'm now in this new community of people with spinal cord injuries, and and one of the biggest turning points for me when i was in rehab was 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 being on a hand cycle and and being able to bike for the first time being active for the first time learning i could be active made a huge impact but actually experiencing that activity was huge for me getting into the like wind in your hair breathing hard heart beating fast all that stuff that made you feel like an athlete again made me feel like myself I also learned how many barriers there are for people to be active. It's so expensive. It's hard to get. People don't know what's what what's out there. So we wanted to find a way to break down some of those barriers. So we wanted to start start the foundation to help people get active after spinal cord injury. So it was really these two things that within a couple months of my accident, we came up with. And then and then we have so so that was that was sort of the idea behind it. The other thing that we did was the next fall was the first Kelly Brush ride. So the Kelly Brush ride is a, is our biggest fundraiser at the KBF every year. And and this, this year, the first year that we did it, it was my ski team at Middlebury. And it was my coach who said, let's do something to help Kelly get back on the mountain with us. Let's raise money to help her buy a mono ski so she can come skiing with us again. And he said to everybody on the, on the team, which there was like 20 of them, Everybody has to raise a $1,000 or you can't get on the list next year. That was Forrest Carey, actually, who was a longtime coach of the ski, U.S. ski team after after mm-hmm. that. And they ended up raising $60,000 that year um, to help me buy a monoski and then all sorts of other adaptive sports equipment. And every year since then, we've used the Kelly Brush Ride as a fundraiser for the Kelly Brush Foundation. And that was for a lot of years, that was our only fundraiser, and we would raise more and more money every year to support our mission. And it was really just my my 20 ski team teammates and our coach that that really put that together and and started the the wave that started the this fundraising for the KBF.
0: That, that is awesome. Since we're talking about that, the KBF, you have one on in Boston and one in the Bay Area. How did that come to be that you have it on both coasts?
2: Yeah. So yeah, so we end up do, we we do a bunch of different fundraisers now. So for a lot of years, KBF stayed really small. I use KBF and Kelly Brush Foundation interchangeably.
0: I got it. I got it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I'm assuming that was obvious. So for a long time, we stayed really small. we were the we we're the ride, and we did we 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 had the ride every fall. We counted the money, we gave it out, and we sort of sit sit dormant. And then we got to a place where it was we're, we're getting so big. We either need to decide to stay small or we're going to try to grow. And we decided to try to grow. And that was 2014. We hired our first full-time executive director and we had our first event in Boston. And really that was some people who said, Hey, we come and do the ride every year, but we have a whole bunch of people who don't ride bikes that want to support. Can you come and do like a cocktail party in Boston? And So we said, sure, let's do that. And that's where that event came. And and something similar happened in San Francisco. Same thing. People said, we want to hold an event out here. And so we said, okay, great. And so we now do fundraisers in Boston and San Francisco. We just started doing a bike ride actually out in San Francisco also. So a sort of Kelly Brush ride West Coast, which is really cool. And it, a lot of it's been opportunistic. Like I said, supporters that want to hold events places. And we've done some in Denver and we've done some in New York. and And it's been really cool to see see how the KBF has grown and how our mission can speak to so many people. People understand their active lifestyle and why they want to be active. And that doesn't change when you have a spinal cord injury. And that's a really easy mission to understand, especially when you're going to places like the Bay Area where people love to be active or, or Colorado, people love to be active. So so it's just been – it's been really organic, our growth, and, and and it's been really fun to see and see people come out and support us and understand what we're doing and want to help.
1: And with that being said, how many people do you think get introduced to Kelly Brush Foundation each year?
2: I think so – so it's an interesting question because it can be both very specific and sort of amorphous too. So we have a grant program that we give out grants for people with spinal cord injuries to get their own adaptive sports equipment. The last two years, we've given out over 300 grants, which has been a million dollars in grants each of the last two years. But that's just our grant program. We're also holding camps and we're, and we have a really cool new online platform that reaches more people. So. So we're reaching thousands of people every year, and it's actually just growing as we're, as we're rolling out the Active Project, this online platform. We're going to be reaching more than that. Our goal is to reach have 25,000 people on that in the next few years.
0: Kelly, you're very good at leading in to my next questions because my next question was earlier this year, you launched a project called Active Project, the first online community by and for people with spinal cord injury. Uh, what can you tell us about that and, and how is it going?
2: Well, look at that. Doesn't that work nicely?
1: Oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah.
2: yeah. So the active project is a really cool new platform that we launched. It's basically the idea is we've done these grants that, that we provide people with their own equipment so they can be active independently, which is really cool. The thing that we hear over and over again when people apply in their grant applications is I sat on the couch for 10 years, had no idea adaptive sports existed. I wish I had heard about you right after I got hurt. And that is just a terrible thing for me to hear that that they had no idea. I learned about adaptive sports within the first couple of months and it was huge for me. So we wanted to create something that we could introduce people to sports earlier. And that's what the Active Project is. So it is an educational tool. So you can actually go and look and see what adaptive sports looks like. Um, but it's also a way to connect with people. So you connect with programs. So adaptive sports programs across the country, we have over 350 of those on our platform right now. Um, as well as individuals. So you can look to see who lives around you and who else has a spinal cord injury and what they like to do. And you can say like, Oh, they liked mountain bike. I want a mountain bike too. Let me connect with them. And, and so it's an incredible tool for people who when they're first getting hurt, it's also an incredible tool for people later on. So for me, I love to mountain bike, but all mountain bike trails are not created equal and they don't all work for the bikes that I use. So if I'm traveling somewhere and I want to go biking, I was out in the Bay Area recently, I want to go biking, I can reach out, I can look on the active project, find somebody who's out there who likes the mountain bike, and I can reach out to them and say, hey, do you have any suggestions for good mountain bike trails? And then I'm good to go for wherever they suggest. So there are some really cool um, features of this. We have forums so people can go on and ask questions. We've got people who are on there. We have Paralympians that are on there. Um, people who have done these sports forever. We've got a girl who went heli skiing, uh, in a mono ski, which is amazing. So it's just a really, really incredible way for people to connect and to learn about sports in a really different way. And then hopefully it's just going to impact all of our other programs even more. The more they can find adaptive sports programs, the more they can actually try this equipment. Then they can figure out what equipment they want, apply to us for grants. We can give out more.
1: Well, not to get off subject about the Kelly Brush Foundation, but you brought something up, adaptive skiing. How do you feel that has morphed in New England over the last, let's say, 15 years?
2: The thing that's cool about all adaptive sports is not only are they becoming more mainstream, more people are seeing them. There's more inclusivity but there's a ton of innovation that's happening within this equipment to make it really, really high tech, which is really cool. Years ago, now this is before I got hurt, but people were, were, were the first monoskis were people like welding stuff together in their garage and then like going out and figuring it out. We now have one of the most popular monoskis that's out there is developed by by an actual like rocket scientist. He was a rocket scientist and then said somehow got connected with somebody who monoskis and saw what he, he, they were skiing on and said, we can build something better than this, and built this like really incredible monoski. So the innovation in that has been has been really cool. And that has been in the last 17 years since I got hurt. We've definitely seen that increase. And then, like I said, the inclusivity of it is great. Having more lodges be accessible, more people see monoskis out there, more more visibility into adaptive sports and, and what it means for, for anybody with a disability. I really love.
1: That's more than fantastic because whether you go to Berkshire East or to Loon or to Pico, you look at these adaptive programs, they're just, Ugh. they're bringing people like yourself back into the outdoor, being able to do the passions that they love.
0: So what does the future hold for the foundation? What are some of the big ticket items that you see defining the the Kelly Brush Foundation in the next few years?
2: Yeah, I mean, the launch of the Active Project was really huge from us. Now we want to get that out there. So that's a that's a really big one for us right now. We got a grant from the Reeves Foundation actually this year, which was really exciting. They saw the Active Project and they, they are helping us reach a goal of, of reaching more people within the first year of their injury. So we're partnering with their peer support program and a bunch of key hospitals across the country to get the active project in front of people. So we want to get 25,000 people on that platform, which is a huge goal for us. So that's a really big one. And 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 the really the hope with that is the more that that gets out in front of people, the more our other programs will grow. So. The Active Fund, which is our grant program that gives out adaptive sports equipment, similarly, we want to continue to give out a million dollars in equipment every year and grow that where we can and reach more people to do experiential things like um, like camps that we that we put on to get people involved in, in adaptive sports. We do this really cool one. It's called Turns and Berms. We hold it out in, in Bend, Oregon in the spring, and you ski in the morning and go mountain biking in the afternoon. And it's awesome. It's just one of those things. It's like there are very few places you can actually do that, and so it's really cool to think about that. And the more we do these, the more people are reaching out to us, wanting to hold camps with them and and do that sort of stuff. So, so it's it's reaching more people. That's our biggest goal moving forward: reaching more people with spinal cord injuries, getting more people out and active. And then and then ski racing. I mean, we talked about that a little bit, but but that's still a big part of. I still really believe in it. It's a much smaller side of our mission in terms of. Of our time and money spent on it, but it's still we we still want to make an incredible impact in the ski racing community and make sure that we people don't forget about it about ski racing safety. A lot of the work we do now is advocacy and reminding people about what needs to be done because we do believe the culture really has changed since I got hurt. But it but it but it needs constant reminders, updates, reminders, and and that's a really important part of of what we're doing. We want to continue that going forward for sure.
1: Well, for the average listener here today, how can how can they get involved? What is your suggestion?
2: Oh, well, what a great what a great question. So there's a there there are a bunch of different ways to get involved. So any of our events that that people want to come to, we would love to have you. We do the Kelly Brush Ride, which is a really fun bike ride in Vermont every September. We hold events that are, like I talked about before, we hold events in Boston and San Francisco and other places across the country. You can sign up for our email list to find out about those. The Active Project actually is not just for people with spinal cord injuries. So if anybody wants to sign up to be a volunteer or an ally, you can do that. And then somebody can reach out to you and say, like, Hey, I want to go skiing at this mountain, but I need a buddy that skis with me. Would you mind coming skiing with me? I'm coming to Sugarbush, and I need somebody to ski with me. And I see that you're on the map of the Active Project at Sugarbush, and I'd love to come skiing. So so anybody can sign up for the Active Project that way.
0: Well, I just, just said that I was just going to ask. That, that seems like a way that people can be of help is to refer people to this Active Project or to suggest that they go on the active project or to join the active project to see if there's someone looking in your area that you may know someone else. Uh, I think it's, it's a great resource and great tool to, to have
2: Yeah. It's an awesome one. I think it's, it's got, and and the thing that's really cool about it's got way more functionalities too that we want to continue to build out. So, so that is definitely forthcoming more stuff that we can put on there. Things like classifieds and, and that sort of stuff. So that's a really great, a really great option. And you can find that just by going to our website. So it's kellybrushfoundation.org. And then there's a, in the get involved in our programs, you can find the active project there. Excellent. So that's a, that's a great way to do it. But yeah, I mean, with the, the KBF, we are, we are excited to, to see where we can go and to continue to grow and just reach as many people as possible and impact spinal cord injury community as best we can.
1: Tremendous. Well, Kelly, we want to thank you for coming on. What you're doing is incredible. Your story is incredible. Yeah, the whole story is incredible. And your team is doing some amazing stuff right now.
2: Well, thank you so much. I'm very proud of what we've been able to do, excited to keep it going even more. And yeah, the impact that we're having is is just amazing. So I, I appreciate all the support that I always get. And And know that I'm harnessing that for all the good that we can.
0: Awesome. And I have the same Ski Vermont poster in my house, too. So (laughs)
2: that's nice. That is, I love that one.
0: That is Kelly Brush of the Kelly Brush Foundation here on the Basecamp podcast. We'll be right back after this.
1: Kelly Brush is so inspirational. What she said during our talk this afternoon, stunning. I mean, taking the most adverse situation and turning it into something truly positive and inspirational.
0: Yeah, I think one of the one of the most important things she said is that this happens all the time and people don't know where to go. There are approximately 300,000 people in the United States living with spinal cord injury and every year that number increases by 18,000, okay? So you take 18,000 people every year that have all of a sudden lost the way that they live and need a new direction. And that's going to be so overwhelming. And where do you turn? You, you just don't have any clue. And that the, the the person that got in touch with Kelly and said, look, I've been, I've been a spinal cord injury patient for 10 years and I didn't know that this existed. I didn't know I could do this. That's unfortunate because that can't happen. Like this sort of communication needs to happen with people to help them understand that life is not over that life moves on and that you can still do many of the things you used to in a different format
1: yes you sure can as you well know eric i'm a retired firefighter mm-hmm. i've seen so many spinal cord injuries that have affected people one of my neighbors just up the road is wheelchair bound the rest of his life and he's well known in the community i was from a mountain bike accident right near my house and Things happen quick, and it was a tough road to start. But now he goes by my house in his wheelchair with the kids down to the field, gets to the sporting events. You can't stop living; you, you right. just have to get out there and do it. And it's it's not what happens; it's how you respond to what happens.
0: Exactly. I, I if you put yourself in those shoes and you and you imagine like what my life would be like. I mean, you, you have to imagine that the, the, the depression and the emotions that overcome you are going to be so strong, but you've got to find a way to battle out of that. And that's what impresses me the most about the heart and the courage of someone like Kelly is that she immediately battled through. And I think she she's when she said she doesn't really remember the injury, she remembers bits and pieces and, and slight memories and how that kind of helps her deal mm-hmm. with the realities of it. Um, but then there's the person who probably remembers every second of it and has to deal with the realities of it, right? And what does that mean for anxiety, depression, and whatnot? And I just think having a, a forum and a place for all these people to to, to join together uh, is really so tremendous.
1: It It We is. We've, we've all been in the situation on the Hill, every single one of us, where all of a sudden something happens, we go down hard, and it just happens. Mm-hmm. But... You've got to get back up, as she said. She's an athlete, she gets it back up and does it again. And she's mountain biking again, she's skiing again in a different way, but it doesn't mean you can't do it. I think each, I think it's May when the marathon is, right? April. April. Okay, missed that one. By each, a month. Yeah, by a month. Each April when the marathon happens, and I watch the wheelchair marathoners, mm. and I those guys haven't stopped living. They're going for it. They're, they're charging and we ought to be celebrating them more than anybody. The veterans that come home that make a difference by doing the same thing, by hopping in wheelchairs and, and playing a different way.
0: Right. I mean, this is a a different situation, but when I was younger, I used to ski. Um, a friend of our family had a boyfriend who was blind and so we would ski with him at Aditash and it was always fascinating to see the way he reacted to the, to the things she was telling him and the way that she, he totally trusted her. And now that's a different situation than the spinal cord injury, obviously, but again, it's about the adaptability and taking what you were given and still embracing your passions. And I think that's a, a super important part in life. And it's even more important when you have something holding you back that is an impediment that you have to overcome because what are sports if they're not overcoming any uh, something in the first place? This is just the the ultimate overcoming your, your physical conditions and being able to compete still.
1: It's to continue living period. One thing that we have talked about in the past and we haven't done, and I will get on this. Mm -hmm. We need a full episode on adaptive skiing. We've talked about it. And I think there are so many People out there that are still enjoying the outdoors through adaptive skiing situations, like at Loon, if anybody goes to Loon and look at the huge building they have right near the Governor's Lodge, Mm -hmm. we need to do that. We do. I'll call Kim Jackson. Perfect. What else? Emails. If
0: you want to send us emails, Wilbur at skijournal.com. Dot com is probably the best place to reach us. I won't give your email out because you should see some of the ones I get. Wilbur at Skijournal.com if you have suggestions, complaints, or want to pitch a story, whatever. Just no more spam. Okay. I get enough of that.
1: So so the deal is if you pitch the story, you you have to give me direct contact to the person. That's my only request. If I'm oh if they're pitching I got you. Yes. Okay. I can take that. Anything else, Mike? I think that's it. I want to wish everybody a fantastic ski season you'll be hearing from us weekly from here on out and there's going to be some really good guests coming up
0: yeah it's exciting it's a uh, year two of the base camp podcast is turning out to be a,
1: a solid sophomore year so mike thank you very much thank you eric looking forward to the next one and um i'll keep rehabbing this knee and everybody else go ski a run for me
0: yeah good luck with that but you know there's um, there's some snow out there you
1: know what you're not missing anything but there's some out there no, nope. When February hits and hopefully that new knee is all set. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to be repping
0: We're hoping for you. Keep our fingers crossed. Mike, thank you very much.
1: Thanks, Eric. We'll talk to you next time. I'm Eric
0: Wilbur. This is the New England Ski Journal's Basecamp podcast, and uh, we'll see you next time. New England Ski Journal's Basecamp is a Siemens Media podcast. Siemens Media, inspiring, informative, insightful.